Namaste and welcome to Delving into Asian Psyches, the podcast in which we investigate the pasts, presents and futures of psychology in the Indo-Pacific. My name is Robin Weber and today I'm joined by Baiju Gopal from India. So first things first, I would like to introduce today's guest. Baiju Gopal is a psychology professor at Christ University in Bangalore. He's got 20 years of experience in research and teaching and is an affiliate of the Indian Psychoanalytical Society in Kolkata. He has written several studies on cultural psychology, migration and relationships and has contributed to several publications on cultural counseling and psychotherapy, and he's also published his own book on playback theater. He doesn't only write, but also acts himself, most recently in the Mahabharata project, and he also directs his own documentaries, as in last year's Gods from Inferno, which highlights indigenous cultures in Kerala. Now, India is a country, of course, that everybody heard of plenty before. It is the most populous country in the world, with the largest diaspora as well. Across the country, there are 22 official languages, with hundreds more being recognized and thousands of dialects being spoken. The country hosts over 700 ethnicities and is the birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism and Jainism. Its history traces back thousands of years to the Indus Valley civilization, one of the earliest in human history, and in modern times has become independent from Britain since 1947. Now with that being said, I would like to delve into the conversation and thank you Baiju for joining in. So thank you Robin for uh, inviting me for this uh, wonderful uh, conversation session. This is really fascinating. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So as we've talked before, and in the beginning, I would like to look a bit back and see how uh, psychology and the view on human psyche developed in India. And with that history, I'm sure we could fill an entire episode on the origins of that. Um, but if we limit ourselves to modern day psychology for the start, it still goes back over 100 years, so that puts us in the time of British rule. And I was wondering how did that environment shape the human psyche and psychological thought? Right. Uh, that's a wonderful question. Um, when we, we had a conversation earlier, also when you look at uh, psychology in India, uh, one of the biggest challenges uh, as researchers and academicians, what we face is um, we have uh, multiple psychologies here. So uh, one psychology, of course, as you rightly mentioned, which started almost uh, 2,000 years back, which has a very strong roots in the culture of India, uh, especially the Indian continent, which is focusing more on different philosophical questions. Uh, for instance, when we look at uh, the questions raised by 
Plato, Aristotle, and other many other Greek philosophers. So almost there are many contemporary thinkers uh, in India, uh, those who try to address the same question. So that's we have a very very long history of that. But uh, that psychology is not uh, developed as a separate branch then and there. Uh, especially those psychology we can find in philosophy, uh, theology, and uh, various other disciplines. It was that was not existed as a separate branch in India, right? But uh, the modern psychology started in India probably. We have very short history, like a hundred uh, years plus history. We have uh, it started probably. We can say some of the initiatives from some scholars. They went abroad, and they have uh, studied psychology, especially some of the names I need to mention here. Like in nineteen sixteen, Anand Sengupta, he he trained outside India, and uh, he came back to India and established a, a university in in Calcutta. So that is probably we can consider as a as a beginning of uh, psychology as a discipline has a separate existence in India. But before psychology uh, come to existence in India, maybe we can look at psychiatry. Uh, the psychiatry came to India along with the colonial uh, history. So when you look at uh, India, more than seventeen uh, hundred onwards, we have uh, the colonial legacy in India. So. Psychology come to existence, as I mentioned before. Psychology, psychiatry, especially, come to existence as part of the colonial legacy. Then again, uh, uh, a parallel psychology came that is called the psychoanalytically oriented psychology, which is uh, the effort of Green the Shaker Bose. Uh, he kind of parallelly developed a psychology, a psychoanalysis, uh, which is parallel to the freudian psychoanalysis uh, he was of course uh, tried to communicate and uh, converse with freud but they never got a chance to meet each other but there was a uh, a parallel psychoanalysis uh, he established that is probably considered one of the oldest uh, psychoanalytical uh, societies in the world so that is the first part of uh, the modern psychology came to existence in india so then probably there are Many efforts came from different other scholars, uh, especially the post-independence. Uh, in 1950, uh, the Prime Minister of that time, Jawaharlal Nehru, was very much interested to bring more uh, Western knowledge and uh, the modern, I mean, understanding to address many questions in India. But interestingly, uh, the psychology in India, uh, in the initial phase, tried to imitate the kind of questions raised by the Western scholars in a different cultural context. Uh, and there was no very uh, specific or a new theories come from India itself. It's, it's mostly like uh, an imported knowledge from the West. And when we try to imitate those questions here, we try to find answers to those questions uh, in the Indian context. So that is something, the beginning part of psychology, when you look at the uh, history of psychology in India. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for expanding yeah. on that. Yeah. And 
it does make a lot of sense how you lay it out um, why the in Indian psychology started as it did and over the following years into today's um, world um, those cultural elements came more and more uh, important do you maybe want to add a few things how that change came to be and how research shifted yeah as i mentioned the research in general many significant social issues especially after independence one of the major problems faced in india was a partition india and pakistan the partition happened so that created a lot of uh, even communal issues communal problems communal hatred uh, some of the effort uh, in especially in social psychology research was trying to understand why and what is the reasons of this communal hatred and communal violence and there are many questions about uh, the attitude of research uh, we can find a lot of attitude of research uh, uh, especially in the initial part and also some effort to implement experimental psychology here uh, because these are the questions almost developed in the west and west is very much uh, interested to understand this questions we, since we don't have any specific focus in india it's completely new discipline so uh, uh, psychology in india try to imitate those questions uh, so one of the scholar mentioned that uh, so always uh, uh, the imitation uh, has certain impact so uh, the the donor country is always one step ahead uh, than the receiving country so that is a, there is very less possibility of developing an independent uh, psychology in india that is one of the crises uh, what we faced uh, i mean in the initial phase and even we are continuing the same crisis even today mm. yeah uh, interesting how those things um keep uh, influencing us in so much later on yeah and uh, you also mentioned it briefly before and of course it is the field that you are most versed in uh, culture has also played a huge part in that and i think it makes a good shift <laughs> to yeah. coming yeah. to your work since um, culture is a very popular term and has uh, dozens of meanings would you uh, like to ex explain what culture means in your research how you define it and what its worth is to understanding the psyche so many time we have a very uh, strange connection between psychology and culture uh, it is not only in india when you look at the history of psychology in the world uh, we could see this strange uh, sort of a connection girish mesra uh, mentioned about this in a very interesting analogy he used he said the culture and psychology are intimate uh, enemies um, I, i like that quote i, I often say that uh, because uh, sometimes we can see that uh, psychology fall in love with culture sometimes we completely ignore culture right uh, one best example um, we could say uh, the first experimental laboratory established by william wundt in lipsing Uh, he extensively talk about uh, this interface uh, how our uh, mental processes are 
framed by the communal community and society and cultural aspect uh, but but we didn't pay much attention to that when you look at the throughout the history we can see that um, then then almost um, uh, there are many researchers did work in 1930s and or there are a couple of work you can see then after one or two decades it's completely untouched no one talk about it so um, that's why it called uh, it's very interesting to see this analogy there is a um, kind of a love and hate relationship exists between psychology and culture. Sometimes we are fall in love with culture. Sometimes we are kind of very detached from this interface. Uh, probably uh, in the history of psychology, uh, uh, this contribution is more uh, actively came in 1980s. Uh, uh, once again, psychology fall in love with culture, which is the work by uh, Schroeder from uh, uh, the University of Chicago. Uh, he coined the term cultural psychology. And parallelly in India, um, a psychoanalytically oriented uh, psychologist, uh, uh, Dr. Sudhir Kakar, he coined the term Indian cultural psychology. I mean, that, that looked at uh, different questions in psychology uh, from a cultural point of view. So uh, I, I felt sometimes the culture is a very uh, an in, invisible presence in all of our behavior. Uh, many times we uh, are not really tracing it. Uh, it is unknown to us, uh, but it, it plays a huge role when you look at in uh, abnormal behavior, when you look at in psychopathology, when you look at in social psychology, when you look at in different uh, other branches and fields in psychology, uh, culture is an invisible presence. So unfortunately, we are not tackling that invisible presence. Uh, so we are less sensitive about the cultural nuances and we are focusing more on universality in our behavior. That is something I find it is a major uh, crisis point, uh, a challenging point, uh, which we need to deliberate as researchers and academicians. Hmm. Yeah, yeah it does make a lot of sense looking at it that way. Um, so you have incorporated it quite to an extent in your research also in combination with things like migration and uh, love and relationships, how do you make use of it? And what do you see its strengths in explaining things about topics like that? I think these are different questions. Um, so we need to address each of this question differently. So uh, some of my area of interest is one, of course, uh, so you mentioned about the indigenous healing uh, practices and traditions, uh, how that indigenous understanding or how the indigenous beliefs and systems are influencing our day-to-day decision-making and our um, our engagement as an individual. And especially when you look at the mental health questions, uh, how this indigenous uh, uh, knowledge is impacting us, right? If you look at that specific question, I, I remember some of the incidents which impacted me when I was a child. I was born in a village. So there I remember there was an incident where one of the members uh, in my extended family uh, suffered with a, I mean, depression. I, I can understand that's depression now. So the first uh, solution for that problem is inviting a shaman. I still remember a shaman came home. He was, he was just an ordinary man. But 
After a few minutes, he wore his costumes and he started uh, chanting certain mantras. Uh, then he looks very powerful. And uh, everyone started seeking his blessing. And he's talking very strange language. And uh, he approached uh, to the person who was uh, suffering with the depression and said, you are torturing my child. He was talking to the uh, spirit. Uh, he said, you're torturing my child. Get out from my child's body. Right? So this looked very, he looked very powerful. And he was uh, creating a different sort of, I mean, uh, environment there. Probably when I look at why I started interest in developing the shamanic practices or indigenous beliefs, probably some of these experiences uh, played a significant role, right? To to understand. So, so, so it is not a, uh, my own uh, experience. Uh, this is, of course, this is my experience, but there, there is very similar experience we can find in each and every uh, part of India, each and every corner of India, we can see similar things. So um, it, it is ignored because people consider it superstitious and we don't need to understand. But even today, there is a very good percentage of people go to shaman, a mystic or a traditional healer when they are experiencing certain crises in their life. That means even in 21st century, even today, people have a very strong belief in such kind of practices, that means it is very much rooted in the psyche of people. So as a researcher, as an academician, uh, I recognize and realize that it is my responsibility to understand this. So why people are going there and what is their uh, benefit out of it? Why after all this, um, I mean, kind of awareness created still where these beliefs are still intact uh, in the psyche of people. That is where I found the importance of understanding the psychocultural elements in various indigenous healing practices. When you look at the second area, especially we talk about the relationship, another important area, because when you look at the India, especially last um, one or two decades, we are going through a major stiff from a very traditional joint family system to nuclear family, then uh, the whole idea of uh, dating came in place. Uh, the dating apps are very popular now. And this is something what Europe or, or North America experienced probably uh, one decade back, right? So something transition, especially when you look at the, the kind of adults and emerging adults, this shift is very fast. And, and that's creating lot of impact in various ways in terms of defining the relationship when you talk about the short-term relationship long-term relationship dating relationships love family this is something we, we are going through as i mentioned it's a, a, a transitional culture we are in a transitional phase so that is what i try to look at the relationship uh, in this transitional phase how this happening? What is the intricacies of that? What is the process in that? And what kind of impact is creating uh, in the society? And is there any major cultural shift happening or not? When you look at culture, it's more in comparatively not that easy to change, right? It may take a couple of years or, or sometimes we say many decades, we don't change much in culture. 
But now what you can see is the cultural change is happening much faster uh, than in the previous time. So that, that's where I'm interested to study about the, uh, the relationship, uh, especially the intimacies and its dynamics. That's fascinating to hear. And I guess also everybody's listening is very curious what kind of uh, findings did you get in looking at these cultural shifts in India? Something so far, what um, in most of my research piece, I, if I say that uh, structurally, even today, the changes are not really visible. The structure, when you look at the, the intimacy structures and you look at the uh, kind of engagement, there is no major change. But behaviorally, uh, there is a lot of change happening. This itself is creating a kind of uh, conflict because what people are trying to do and what they believe is very different. There's a contradiction between their values. Uh, I'm talking about the values, uh, which is very, very internal. Uh, maybe externally, people are talking about, especially when you look at the youngsters, so they're talking about uh, the freedom and uh, their exploration uh, in life and all. But, but they are in a conflict. They are not uh, completely shifted to the uh, framework what we are seeing in the West because there are different reasons. One is uh, they are too much uh, dependent, economically they are too much dependent on their parents. That also contribute a major factor because finally when the, they are become the decision makers, they need to, I mean, more listen to them or they need to go to some of the institutions uh, given by the parents. So the economic independence or freedom is not there even today's youths. So, 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 so that what I'm trying to say is that there is a, they're, they're living in a contradiction, and uh, they're living these two realities. One is the reality is coming from the, the the previous generation, primarily their parents, especially look at the, the emerging adults and the young adults. At the same time, they are more exposed to more globally available realities about uh, relationship and intimacies. So, so they're in a confusion. So, what they need to take and how they need to proceed, how they have to convince. And sometimes they themselves are not very convinced about that. That is, that is some of the findings emerging from few studies. Yeah, That is an interesting find indeed. Yep. So now, because you're not only a researcher, I would also like to take some time to highlight your other works. And uh, just recently, you have also published a film uh, which highly um, emphasizes on the culture and especially indigenous cultures found in where you're from, Kerala. And how was that not just writing, but also creating media about the thing that you care about? Yep. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, talking about my film. Um, so this is, uh, we recently published uh, the film called that is the Malayalam, uh, I mean, title, but uh, the English title is uh, The Gods uh, from Inferno. So uh, this particular film, based on my travel to a particular uh, ritual dance form called Theyam. Theyam is a ritual dance form which prevailed in northern part of Kerala, that's in the South India. So uh, this is a very interesting art form and uh, ritual dance form where more than a thousand years old practice. So here the interesting part is when 
the 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 performers when once they wear the costumes so they consider that particular time they are the deities so they are the they are the god so there are more than 400 uh, types of theyam this theyam actually uh, kind of uh, interact with the people and try to resolve their problem so the people go to theyam to resolve many of their problems but when i do research on this particular ritual dance practice i was amazed with the, the beauty of these visuals so as a, as a documentary maker when i look at the the color what they have used the costume what they have used the kind of ambience they have created that's that's something real visual treat so that i was i was thinking about i wanted to make something a film on this that that's one part of it and then as an actor uh, i i looked at their acting skills i i really bowed down to the great acting skills of this theyam performers they are great actors uh, they are great uh, martial artists and, and they are very much fascinated with the stories of each theyam is talk about uh, how an ordinary man or women become a deity what is the story uh, the narratives of each theyam performance are pretty strong you know so when i when i when i felt about this i touched by the stories i uh, witnessed these uh, practices uh, i really wanted to see how the the urban world and what is their narrative about this so my documentary is primarily trying to look at this interaction between the theyam and the the urban realities because we have a completely different realities and what is the reality of theyam and where is this conversation happening so that is the effort of this particular documentary film teelkurutha devangal the goats from inferno luckily this this was screened in couple of documentary film festivals and we received well jury mention and i i request all of you to watch when it's available in uh various platforms yeah uh, but but it's it's like a, my understanding as a cultural psychologist and uh, a documentary filmmaker and actor and script writer come in one place so so i'm happy that i was able to create that thank you for talking mm-hmm. about it yeah right it does sound really interesting how also all these things go in together and um, speaking of acting that's also one field that you are active in yourself and uh maybe you can also say a few lines on your um uh playback theater that took on the mahabharata from psychological perspective in terms of the the characters yeah right 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 so uh, these are two different things one is the the playback theater is something uh, my role is as an actor i'm a, a playback theater actor so which is focusing on the stories of people you know we all have stories we all have uh, multiple stories some stories are very revealing some stories are very intense some stories are happy stories sad stories so life is uh, the ocean of uh, uh, various stories right so this playback theater is actually a form developed in new york by jonathan fox and joe salis a couple uh, in 1970s and they um, they wanted to create something a, a spontaneous theater an improvisational theater so people come and share the story and they can choose the actors and uh, 
the actors uh, listen to the stories and they spontaneously uh, they improvise their stories and play it back to them. So my interest in that form is majorly the stories always fascinates me. The depth of these stories and how people make sense from their own stories, what the stories are echoing in their life, how the stories are echoing in the culture, society. So that's actually a psychological process. And also as an actor, this is also when you want to spontaneously enact, we need to develop a deep listening. And deep listening is something, a concept in psychology, uh, but we are actually practicing in theater. So when somebody is sharing a story, they may be sharing certain things in words, but there are much more deeper layers of that story. So when you pay attention to the story deeply, non-judgmentally, only then we will be able to understand uh, the real story. So what is representing in the story, that is what we call the telling, and what is told, what is actually happened, sometimes may be slightly different. So we always need to navigate between this told and telling through the process of deep listening. Uh, so, so, so my fascination, especially coming from the acting part of it, and especially, I, I, I like to hear stories of people. Mm-hmm. And the Mahabharata project is, a, I mean, an interesting project. We look at, uh, when I, I, there also my role is not as a director, I'm, a, I'm an actor. Uh, our role was to understand one of the epic called Mahabharata, one of the great epic in India, uh, based on uh, a concept called positive emotional intelligence. There are different uh, saboteurs uh, or voices within us. These voices are always happening in our head, right? So when, when you are doing this podcast, you are, uh, I mean, thinking about, there are voices in your head. Is it perfect? Is it perfect? What is going to speak? And I'm, I'm trying to make certain kind of voices happening in my head, you know? Uh, I mean, this particular theory, look at almost 10 or uh, uh, 9 or 10 sabotes. Uh, there is something called victims. There is something called perfectionists. Uh, Sometimes we have... Uh, vigilance, and different voices in our head. So we try to analyze each characters in Mahabharata, the key characters in the Mahabharata, using the sabotes. When they took important decisions in their life, for example, if you are familiar with the Mahabharata story, there are, there are stories in some of the contexts where some important decision when they are taking in their life. What was the sabotes predominantly in their head? what voices they listen to. So this is what our attempt to look at the key characters like Arjuna, Krishna, Bhima. I was doing the role of Bhima. Uh, he's one of the most strongest uh, character in Mahabharata, the strongest man in the uh, in the story. But he was completely lost with his uh, vulnerability or his love to his partner, uh, Draupadi. But she never paid attention to him. She was always interested in other uh, characters. So, so he was living in that vulnerability. So what was happening in his head during the vulnerability? The most powerful man was actually the most vulnerable person. So this is something interesting thing we try to explore through Mahabharata project. We are using body theater, uh, to that's one of the traditional martial arts and, and different other forms we are trying to approach Mahabharata.
so that's about the Mahabharata project. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing from these very different but equally interesting projects that you are involved in. I took some extra time for that. Unfortunately, we have already reached the end of this episode. I'm very glad that you have joined in and shared with us all those things. If any of our listeners is interested to know more or get in touch with you, uh, how can they most easily find you? They can find me in various social media platforms. They can find me, they can mail me, they can visit my website www.bajugoba.com or uh, they can look at my Insta page or Facebook page, other platforms where they can find me. Wonderful. I'll make sure to link to all your accounts in the show notes. And thanks to you for joining me in this conversation on India and its psyche. And thanks to everybody who is listening for your interest. If you want to hear more perspectives from Asia about the human mind, please join in again in a fortnight when I will have a researcher from the Philippines on the show here. Now I would like to conclude and give the last word to Baiju. Please take it away. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you, uh, Robin. It's a, it's a great effort to bring the perspective of uh, India, Indian psychology in perspective to the world. That's something really appreciated. Thank you so much.